Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Search at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm so happy to welcome the callers and chatters to the show. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged in and you wish to participate in the show or participate in the chat, what am I talking about? Please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I am going to open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can call in and ask questions and or make a comment. And then following the show, you can listen to the show again as a podcast. So I'm just excited to have everyone here tonight because tonight we're going to talk about and explore a brand new website, Mapping the Freedom Bureau. Well, this is not the first time where the Freedmen's Bureau has been discussed. And I, I want to strongly encourage all of you to listen to previous shows with Selma Stewart and Sharon Batiste Gillens. Now, did you know that the majority of the Freedmen's Bureau records are now digitized and available online for free, as well as the records of other institutions that served newly free African Americans during Reconstruction. Well, Angela Walton Raji and Tony Carrier have built a new website called Mapping the Freedmen's Bureau. And this is an interactive research guide to assist researchers in locating and accessing records of the Freedmen's Bureau, the Freedmen's Hospital, contraband camps, and Freedmen's Bank branches. Angela Walton Raji is an author, genealogist, guest lecturer, and producer of the African Roots podcast, and Tony Carrier is the founder of Low Country Africana, a free website dedicated to African-American genealogy and history in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So let me give a warm welcome to Tony Carrier and Angela Walton Raji to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Tony and Angela. Hi, thank, thank you. you for having us. Hey, Jen, friends. Oh, <laughs> a pleasure to be well, here. Just, oh, yes, I am so happy to have you, and I have been having a ball mapping the <laughs> Freedmen's Bureau. I'm all over Louisiana, looking at all those oh, little maps and those little bureaus, and so I am just excited to have both of you. So let's just start with how did this site come about? Well, um, I'll start out since I had uh, initially created something on another site. Um, I had created something, oh, I guess it's been almost 11 months ago, almost a year ago now, uh, on my website, my personal blog, which is myancestorsname.blogspot.com. 
And uh, I had just decided to pull up my home state of Arkansas, and I decided, wouldn't it be nice if I would just take an old map and put a red dot in every single place where there was a field office for the Freedmen's Bureau. It took me a while. It was a bit tedious, but I got it done, and then I wrote an article to accompany the image that I had created, and I was happy. I was done. I was finished, and um, a lot of people responded very enthusiastically. Several people said, gee, I wish my state had something like that, the state that I researched. And then came Tony, who said, Angela, why don't we do it for the whole, the whole country, the entire system where the Freedmen's Bureau existed? And, of course, I thought, is she crazy? I went through everything just to put up Arkansas. But she knew something that I didn't know. She knew a lot more about how to pin things using Google Maps. And I kind of said, well, all right. And I'm so glad I did because what started off as, okay, well, let's pin the field offices. And then, of course, a few other dimensions took off from there. But I'll let you let uh, Tony tell her version of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Tony. That's pretty much the version I told, too. I think I, I, I'm always telling people we roped ourselves into it. But we, were, <laughs> we were just talking about, I said, Angela, you know, that was so brilliant to map the locations because every single researcher has to use a map in order to identify the microfilm reels in the, uh, in the microfilm publication to find the microfilm reels for the location that was closest to your area of interest. And basically, you know, the Freedmen's Bureau are one of the richest record sets for yes. taking research back past 1870. Yes. Um, it can, you know, just perusing one microfilm from the Freedmen's Bureau from where your ancestor lived may open an entire research window for you. But the problem was, they, before now, they were one of the hardest record sets to access yes. and to navigate. It, it, was, it was so cumbersome, the process that each researcher had to go through in order to identify which microfilm reels they wanted to view. First, you had to find and access the descriptive pamphlet that the National Archives puts out for each state. And then you had to look at a map to see which was the nearest field office to your area of research interest. And then you had to finally, if you were hoping to read the films online, you had to search to find out if the microfilms were online. So we were talking about that and saying, you know, that's an awful lot for every individual researcher to have to go through. Why doesn't somebody just do this once and for all? <laughs> and immediately we knew that was a mistake. <laughs> a mistake? <laughs> well, we realized that we fit the description of someone. So, <laughs> so once we figured out that somebody needed to map these locations, then we figured out that probably we should go ahead and do it. Well, I want to add one other thing. You have done something beautiful. I just want to uh, mention that Selma said that um, Jimmy Walker said that the Freedmen Bureau, those records, uh, it's really a gold mine. And True. he was right. Yes. He was definitely yes. right. Absolutely. You wanted to say something, Angela? Well, yeah, I was just going to add that as we got started pinning, and after a while, you sort of get your rhythm and realize, okay, I can do this. I can get through this. I've gone through this state. Now let me move to the next state. Let me go now from Mississippi. Let me go to Alabama and so on. I think right around that time in the first two or three states that we had pinned, it dawned on me as well, oh, my gosh. Well, there are other records that were also created during this, this post-emancipation period and a different system of rec different set of records, different system, but there was the Freedmen's Bank. And then I realized, well, it's not the same organization, but it's the same time period and we're talking about the same 
people who were being served. Why don't we mark the banks? Yeah. And um, and Tony said, you know, not a bad idea. Fortunately, there were not as many bank branches as there were field offices of the Freedmen's Bureau, so that was not too, too difficult. But it's so funny because as we would go along and, and get our rhythm and keep hitting and going and putting things on the map, oh, look at all these contraband camps that are here. Maybe we should pin them too. And so it got to be something that we kept going deeper and deeper and deeper, but we really wanted to pinpoint the fact that these records are there. And what you find when you put your mouse on the pin, a pop-up window will come up and tell you where you can go and look at the records that pertain to that particular place. So... I took almost, well, not quite a year, but it took a long time. So, but I'm <laughs> glad we did yes, I was wondering how long it did take. Well, let, let me just ask you all something, because I noticed, you know, that you use a, a map interface instead of just a text link. Why, why did you decide to, to do that? Well, um, using a map was actually one of the steps that was absolutely necessary in order for you to identify the records that you uh, wish to view. And so a map interface just seemed intuitive um, because basically what we were all doing, every single researcher was, we were mapping those locations uh, and then selecting the one that was closest to where our ancestors lived. So mm -hmm. a map interface just seemed like a, an intuitive thing to do. But once we started mapping as Angela said, we started with the with the uh, field offices, and then we layered on the banks, and then we were layered on the contraband camps, and then still later we layered on the Freedmen's Hospitals. All of a sudden, it's a different way to visualize yes. those those data and those records. And if you look at a particular location, that location may have been served by all of those. Services. They may have been served by the military before there was the Freedmen's Bureau, right. and then the Freedmen's Bureau, and then later the Freedmen's Bank. Um, and sometimes uh, there was sort of a natural progression. There was sort of an order that that ancestors actually interacted with those agencies, because before the Freedmen's Bureau, the military handled those things, and then That's when the right. Freedmen's Bureau came along. Often, the military officers who had been already serving the communities were selected as as field officers for the Freedmen's Bureau. And then still mm -hmm. later when the bank was formed, sometimes you also saw that agents of the Freedmen's Bureau became agents of the Freedmen's Bank. Mm -hmm. And so they may have been dealing with <coughs> different services constantly consecutively, but uh, often they were dealing with the same people. I see. I, I see. I think another yeah. point that I would just point out is the visual impact of a map. One thing that really surprised me when I was learning how to pin uh, a particular map, and you give a particular, you put a marker down, you give it a name. I might say um, Little Rock, Arkansas Field Office, and that's the name of the marker, but then it says, well, where should this marker be placed? The moment I type in the word Little Rock, Arkansas, because it's a Google map, it immediately brings in the accurate geographic coordinates, longitude, latitude, it is there. And it's amazing because you see it, so it actually goes directly to that place. And a lot of us think, well, the Freedmen's Bureau was just in large cities, maybe only in state capitals, but that's not the case. And um, I, I know, I recall pinning the state of Alabama. And of course, one thinks, okay, Montgomery, Birmingham, logical, but how many people will automatically think Demopolis, Alabama? And many people, when they go and hover their mouths over that little pin, and they, and they start to zoom in, and they realize, wait a minute, my folks lived right there. 
there was a branch. I didn't know there was a branch that was within 30 miles of where my people lived. That geographic interface is amazing. And it's accurate because we're using the Google Map uh, feature. And it's it's just uh, a truly, truly, truly a useful feature. And I think people are right. visual learners That's anyway. So Many are. Right. Well, so one true. of the things that I notice is that, I mean, you could look at a state, for example, of course, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at Louisiana, and you yes. see all of these, I mean, it's almost like they're clumped on top of each other. But yes. if you hover, as you said, you will pick up the place, you know, Ascension Parish, you will pick up uh another pet or liens or what have you. And so you can find exactly the geographic area where your ancestors uh, perhaps used the Bureau. Yeah. And I would add, Bernice, that um, uh, often we're researching an area that's distant from us. And we may not be familiar with the state where our ancestors lived. Right. And so even, you know, if you're reading a descriptive pamphlet, and you're seeing the names of communities, you would also have to, if, if you weren't familiar with that area, you would pretty much constantly have to consult a map in order to learn, you know, which places were near. So for, for the map now with the pins on it, if you locate the area of your research interest, you can see the clustering of the pins around. And there's right. an example. We were doing recently some research on Edisville Island in South Carolina, and at different times, Edisville was in Charleston County, and at other times, it was in Colleton County. So we looked in Charleston, we looked in Colleton, and we found a few records, but then we went to the map and compared it to the descriptive pamphlet, we found out that the nearest field office was Rockville, and mm. I didn't even know where Rockville was, so I... I would never have recognized it just reading a text pamphlet. So mm -hmm. we went over oh, to the Rockville yeah. records and just found a treasure trove in Rockville. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I, I know that, I mean, the mapping site does contain more than just the field offices of the Bureau, and you mentioned the bank, but do you have any other uh, offices that you uh, have on the map? Well, of course, you know, we do have the Freedmen's Bureau hospitals, and these are, of course, hospitals that were uh, being over overseen, I guess, by the Bureau itself, and we mentioned the contraband camps. But we also have, um, um, what is it I'm trying to think of, the battle sites. <laughs> it almost slipped my mind. Battle sites, and this was another one of those things that, again, it dawned on me because, first of all, understand this entire period of emancipation. It did not begin exactly in 1865. As early as 1861 with Fort Monroe in Virginia, you had people as soon as Benjamin Butler got to uh, Fort Monroe, Virginia, on his assignment the very next day, three men appeared uh, appealing for refuge there. And the the phenomenon of of I'll say refugees or contrabands originated there. That's early in the war. And mm -hmm. for the next four years, you had individuals emancipating themselves, really uh, finding freedom on their own. And so during this time, now keep in mind, United States colored troops weren't even formed until 1863 officially. But as early as 1862, you did have men who were in the Union Army in groups such as the 1st and 2nd Kansas Colored who were part of a military unit in the Union Army who were fighting and who saw action in 1862. Well, 1863, mm -hmm. you had the United States Colored Troops, and for the rest of the war, they were engaged in battles all over the South. And it dawned on me, you know what, we're talking about contraband camps, we're talking about places where newly freed slaves are receiving services. Another part of our history is the men who were fighting for that freedom. We've got to mark where those battles were. 
Subsequently, there we go. We started all over again, and a battle sites map was created. And if you click on that map, you'll see that we have every map from Missouri, including Island Mound, into Indian Territory as well, Cabin Creek, Honey Springs, and of course, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, all places in the South, Virginia, the Carolinas as well. So uh, we realized that's a part of the story. We can't live leave out because we this was something that they lived through. This was part of our history, and it's the same people who are using the Bureau, whose families were in those camps or in those hospitals. These are the same people. So we really had to put it there on the map as well. Right. Plus, you're, you're, you're really educating people because when they're up on the site and they see that, wait a minute, you have not only the Freedmen's Bureau, the yes. field offices, yes. but you have the hospitals, you have the battle sites, the country bank. I mean, this is this is something yes. that perhaps people haven't even paid attention to, but you you you've done a, a excellent service for uh, for all of us because now at least we don't have an excuse not to try to find something. <laughs> true, that's true. <laughs> Well, I think what happened is that we've mapped the beginning of freedom is what has been mapped. Yes, yes, you you have, you have. Okay, so how would a site visitor use the map? Take us through. Okay, Um, we have a maps page where we have all the different maps listed up there. And so you would go to the Maps page and then select the map that you would like to view. And then the map will load for you. And the next thing you will want to do is enlarge the map. Zoom in in order to uh, to the level where you see the community that you're interested in researching. Um, and then there are two ways to make the map larger. If you have a mouse with a scroll wheel, you can click on the map and then use your scroll wheel just to zoom the map up. But if you don't have a mouse or you don't have a mouse with a scroll wheel, you can also use the controls of the Google Maps. If you look up in the upper left-hand corner, there's a plus and a minus button there that you can click to take your view in closer or farther out. So once you have zoomed the map up where you see your research area, then you can start clicking on the map icons that are around that uh, location. And when you click on the map icon, it's going to pop up a, an information box. And what's in the information box is which microfilm publication uh, corresponds to that location and then which microfilm reels correspond. So uh, if the records are online, you can click on the link uh, a direct link to go right to where the records are online. So it's um, we're hoping that it's a, a pretty streamlined way to identify the records and then just roll right over and start reading them. Right. It it certainly it certainly is. So um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about about the site because I do want you all to just talk about some of the sample documents, but we're going to take a quick break and come back and then talk a little bit more about the uh, descriptive pamphlets, and then uh, we'll talk about the actual documents. So this is just a quick break.
Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert or experts to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio or iTunes. Now, you have been listening to Angela Walton-Raji and Tony Carrier discussing a brand-new website, Mapping the Freedmen's Bureau. So back to you, and I just want you to just tell us about the, you know, there is a feature, and I've noticed this feature on the site, it's such as a, the descriptive pamphlets. So why are they featured on the site? Well, I think one of the things that's very important is to really uh, certainly uh, be thankful for what the National Archives has done. When these records were microfilmed, they realized that the microfilm could not just sort of be, you know, sent around to all the branches around the country without a full detail of what is really inside of, of these records and these many, many reels. They created a descriptive pamphlet for every single state that had a field office of the Freedmen's Bureau. And the descriptive pamphlets are essential. And um, and you find them when you're on the website and you get to the main site, mappingthefreedmansbureau.com, you see a link that says Research Guides. And on the left, um, you'll see uh, there's a list of the states, Alabama, Arkansas, District of Columbia, and so on, all the way down through Virginia. And if you click on any of the states, whatever your home state is, you'll see, number one, the microfilm publication number, such as Alabama is M1900, um, Arkansas is M1901, and each state has their own um, number. But besides having that publication number, that's also a live link. When you click on that, the pamphlet comes up immediately. This links you directly to the pamphlet for that date. And this is something, if you research Arkansas, you need to print off this. It's a PDF file. It loads very, very quickly. You need to have this. Print it off, get a highlighter, curl up in bed at night, and, and, and highlight the reels that you want to look at. And when I say reels, that's assuming that you're going to a facility that has them on microfilm reels. On the other hand, which is what we have done, we know that many researchers are not going to a library. Many are going to go to the two sites online that have digitized them. Now, at the present time, there's not any one site that has all of the Freedmen's Bureau on their one website. But there are two sites that you need to know, FamilySearch.org and the Internet Archive or Archives.org. And you will find when you click on that, it takes you to the descriptive pamphlet. And you really need to have this because that's going to be your key. When you see, for example, if you click on a hospital link and you'll see M1900, real number 25, and that might be a particular hospital, you know that somewhere on that reel, when you go to that site, either on Family Search or on the Internet Archive, oh, I need to look at this reel of microfilm to see what those hospital records contain. Or in another case, and you really want to read the descriptive pamphlet because there's some surprises that are there. Not only are you going to find um, a list of patients at a hospital, you're going to find in some cases marriage records. And these marriage records are critical because keep in mind, these records are created before the local, state, and county started recording black marriages. Yeah. So <clears throat> yes. if you find, excuse me, a marriage that is listed in 1865 or 66, 
and you go to your local county courthouse, you may find that the book of black marriages doesn't even start until 1870. And so you're actually getting some really immediate data on your family in those critical years right after emancipation took place. And of course, the wealth of data, it's just an enormous amount of things. There are the labor contracts, the letters, don't skip the letters. That's where you find out what was happening day to day, how many people were really getting paid for their labor. Was there resistance coming from former slaveholders? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They said they were going to pay them, but they didn't. You find this in those letters and you can find an ongoing sometimes an ongoing saga that would go on for days and weeks it's definitely a treasure trove um so uh yes you do want to use the the descriptive pamphlets yes true just mentioned y'all have outdone yourselves and <laughs> she's so <laughs> impressed and she can't stop playing with it <laughs> thank you true oh bless her heart <laughs> Yes, but you know you're right. Uh, the the descriptive pamphlet is so valuable in helping you understand what you can find. Uh, it it doesn't make any sense for you to try to get in there and then you don't know. <laughs> you don't know right. what you're looking for. So it it is your guide to help you know where you're going. But you also have some sample documents. And I want you to tell us about those documents and why did you decide to feature those documents. Okay. Um, the sample documents, the, the first reason we wanted to feature them on the site is we wanted a vis- visitor to get an immediate idea of the richness of this record set. There are so many different records that the Freedmen's Bureau kept. And all of them, and as Angela said, don't skip the letters because the letters tell oh. stories often. Oh, yes. But it's, it, it's an incredibly rich record set. And the, the, having those sample documents on the site, we also transcribe them. And having those transcribed in text form was very important to us because that makes those particular sample documents discoverable with a Google search. And so if you Google your ancestor's name and it leads you to a particular sample document on the site, you know that there may be many, many other records there in the Freedmen's Bureau um, yeah. for your ancestor. So, uh, But mostly um, to encourage uh, readers to take a look at how incredibly rich this record set is. Well, why don't you t- walk us through those documents? Tell us about them. Okay. Um, we chose a document for each state, and as we go along, we'll be adding uh, any remarkable documents that we find. We'll, we'll be adding them to the site so you can expect the, the sample documents area to grow. Uh, but we read the descriptive pamphlet for each state, and we looked at the description of which records are there and the information that they contain. And the descriptive pamphlet really is a roadmap for navigating the microfilms. Mm-hmm. You can choose subsections of a particular microfilm that you want to view, view first because the records you know, have promise for what you may be looking for. So we went to the descriptive pamphlet for each state, and we wanted to get a wide variety of documents because there are so many different document types in the Freedmen's Bureau record set. So we looked in the pamphlet to see which records we thought would be the richest or which would would, um, be the most important for, for instance, naming a former slaveholder. And um, then we went to the microfilm and viewed that and pulled it in, pulled it down from online and transcribed it. So you should find a a, a sample document for each state right now, but those collection is is definitely going to grow. Yes. Well, tell us about the document. What what do you have for Louisiana? Mm, 
Let me just go see. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go and look. Sample documents. Here we go. 17 uh, Louisiana. Louisiana is, yes, Louisiana, I believe, is the Singleton family. Let me just look at that. And yes. Yes. That is okay. It. That record for the Singleton uh, family, there were 17 individuals all listed with the name Singleton, all from the same plantation in Louisiana, and the way that their ages broke out implies that they may be family groupings. And so it was so exciting to see all these individuals named Singleton from the single plantation because it's very possible that you're looking at an extended family there. That's right, and and I know um, the, the family member of the Singletons. I know she's she's a guest in here. I hope that she'll call in. Uh but I shared with her uh the document because I I, I know the family and I know the history about the family. And yes. so thank you so much for putting the Singleton family uh family's record uh as one of the examples. So what do you have for uh South Carolina? Let's see. Let's go to South Carolina and see. Okay, for South Carolina, we have a register of patients in the hospital at Hilton Head, South Carolina. And the register uh, covers three years, 1865 to 1868. So what we did with that one was we have a wonderful, wonderful um, crew member, Alana Thevenet, who, who, who is for Low Country Africana, our co-director. And um, she has flying fingers, and she loves to transcribe records. So she made uh, Excel spreadsheets out of the records, and then we used uh, uh, the table press software just to pull in the Excel spreadsheet. There are hundreds of names in that register. But pulling them in like that and putting them in a table, you can now sort every column of that table. You can choose how many records you want to show on a single page, and you can search the whole record set. So if, if it's a record with 400 names, you can search and find a particular name or location, whatever you want to search on, you know, in that table. Okay, and then what what did you find in uh, Virginia? Virginia. Let's see. And you're ah, right, okay. you you do have different records, which is which is good to show us the the very um the different types of records that are available. The variety, definitely. Let's see. This is the register of free people living together as man and wife. Uh, during slave time, um, who were uh, formally married uh, in Bowling Green, Virginia. And this is a really remarkable document because it lists individuals and it lists their family members and gives the family relationship. So that's, we thought that was really, really remarkable. Um, for instance, you have... Um, William Willis uh, married Maria Ganey, and it gives, in many cases, the wife's maiden name. If she had a surname before emancipation, her surname is listed on there. That's just an incredible record. Oh, that is so incredible, and so many of us cannot find that maiden name, and so yeah. just to think that that's in the Freedman Bureau record. Yeah. yeah. For some people, I mean, you're right, it is a gold mine. Yes. Yeah. It is definitely a gold mine. Any other examples of records you found and you could tell us the state? Let's see. Um, we have some who, uh, we have some records that reveal the name of the former slaveholder. 
let's see, we have some records of custody to chat. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's one, the bounty claim for, uh, for Tennessee. And this one was remarkable because the family would, in Tennessee, in Memphis, interacting with the Freedmen's Bureau, but what we learn from the um, record is that the former slaveholder was uh, in Tippa, Mississippi. Right, and Tippa County. Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a story right there that's unfolding with how they came to be in Memphis interacting with the, with the Bureau. And what this was, it was an affidavit of identity that I believe was for collecting additional bounty pay for his service in the military. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it lists uh, his former slaveholder's name and his mother's former slaveholder's name as well. So in a single mm-hmm. piece of paper, you have just an, an immense wealth of, yes. of new information and new research windows that, that will open to you just on one piece of paper. And, and that's what's so astounding about the Freedmen's Bureau records. Yes, I want to say yes, one other thing. I'm sorry. Um, I just wanted to add one other thing there, too. As she's pointing out this information on the former slaveholders, it's important to understand that the the Bureau itself, which many of us know as Record Group 105 at, at the National Archives, the Bureau itself, the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands, is not a black record set. It's an American record set. Everyone is there. You have, of course, the individuals who were once enslaved. But this bureau, you also find whites who were recipients of services, of rations. It was a bureau that served white refugees. It was a bureau that had whites who were employed at the bureau. Um, it's something, and of course, we know that many had to take oaths of allegiance to come back to the United States after the war. These were white secessionists who now the war is over, before they get their land reassigned to them, they have to show that they are going to be loyal to the Union again. And it's, an, it's a record set. It's, it's just really, really, really amazing. We are eventually going to add a, a section on uh, Southern whites that were served and who served, at, who offered services as well at the Bureau because it's, it's a remarkable record set and it's a way to really, as we're saying, we're, we're pinning America on a map in a different kind of way that has yeah. ever been done before. Yeah. Yes, and I hope that, you know, as you are talking about the various records that, the listeners will start sharing what they have found uh, as they go through your mapping the the Freedmen's Bureau and they are finding documents. Share those documents on the various Facebook pages. Talk about them at your meetings so that others can really understand. We're talking about freedom, the beginning of freedom, as you you mentioned. And it's, it's so important for us to start talking about those records. And I think we have been talking about them, but now they seem to be even more accessible than ever before. Now that we know they're on, uh, some of them are on Family Search. Now, Family yeah. Search and the Smithsonian, uh, the, uh, the, the museum uh, is. They have an effort underway right now to index the Freedmen's Bureau uh, records. Uh, You know, tell us more about what's happening with that, or can you tell us more about what's happening with that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a a collaboration between um, the National Archives and the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture and um, Family Search. And the indexing uh, effort is already underway, and, and uh, I can tell you that the indexing instructions are provided to you, and they're very clear. And when you select to index some records, 
they actually have a page where they show samples of all the different kinds of records you're going to find in there, and they tell you exactly how to index that. So it's, I think, a really simple uh, interface, and it certainly will make a lot of difference because, because of the, the many ancestors' names who are listed in the Freedmen's Bureau. And, you right. know, when they started that effort, Angela and I had already been working on this site, and we had a talk. We were like, oh, you know, is the site going to be needed after the records are indexed? Yes. And oh, yeah. really, we realized that, yes, it is, because even after the records are indexed, if you want to make the most of the Freedmen's Bureau records to learn about your ancestors' lives and what was happening around them in their community um, right, during, right after emancipation, there's no other records that do that. And so reading through the records, can help you know what was happening in the community. It can help you better visualize their your ancestors' lives and their and the circumstances mm-hmm. or the challenges that they may have been facing at that time. And it enables you to better tell the story. Yes, it, it does enable you to better tell the story. And it, as you said, it gives you an idea of what was going on in the community. And you don't have to be looking for your family members. You could be doing just a community analysis. Well, what happened between 1865 and 1868? Let me see right. what types of information I can gather about the community so that I could tell the story. So you want to, yes. you want to be able to find, and those those are the primary sources. So you certainly want to be able to, as much as possible, if you're going to write something, use a primary source to help yeah. tell the story. So uh, so you're right. It, it does still help to have that mapping uh, opportunity so that you can click that button, at least know where the bureau is located and where you're going. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yes, now uh, someone said, can you provide a link to the Smithsonian Index Project? Actually, the link, as I have obtained it, it's actually through, it's an indexing tool through FamilySearch. The collaboration is is an agreement that these institutions, uh, that the Smithsonian, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, has partnered with FamilySearch. But the indexing tool, you must Mm -hmm. download it from FamilySearch.org and just watch the video. It's about five minutes to show you how to index. And then they'll send you a batch. And um, um, usually I think it's batches of 10 or so different documents that you would index mm-hmm. at a time. And uh, But very, very easy to get started. And uh, let me see if I can find a link to that, and I'll put it up on the screen. Okay. Now, suppose others want to build a site based on mapping. How would they begin? It, you know, they may take yours and go to just the one state where you've already pinned, but pin maybe other information that they gather. How would they do that? Well, the the platform that we used is uh, this. The site is was built on WordPress, and the reason we chose WordPress is that there are so many different plugins where you can add functionality to your site. And we found a mapping uh, plugin called Maps Marker, uh, and they have Pro uh, Maps Marker Pro and the Maps Marker Free version. And we went ahead and got the Pro version because we knew we were going to be ma- making a really heavy-duty use <laughs> of something that you know I think most people would. Uh, put a map on their blog to show their location or to show where an event's going to be or so forth, but we have some 800 markers on the map. So we signed mm-hmm. up for the pro version because we suspected we were going to need some support. <laughs> so, and we didn't, we didn't know how the plugin was going to even uh, function when we made that heavy a use of it. But it has mm-hmm. been um, not a hiccup 
not a glitch anywhere. So I, I definitely recommend if you want to build a, a mapping site, I would say go with WordPress and find a Maps Marker plugin and, and use it. It's been wonderful. Let, let me add a little a comment there too. You know, um, if you can think of something that's unique about your town or your community or your county, let's say you're very active in church history, and maybe you've been interested in the early black churches that were established in your county, there's a story and there's a map. Go and find every church you can identify and you can pin it on a map. There is a brand new map. And with every map that you have, you have pinned a part of local history that didn't exist before. I have a Pinterest page where I collect, and, and one of my pages that I have on Pinterest is called Black History on Maps, and because I love maps anyway. And if I see a map that's reflecting uh, a black settlement or a town or a contraband camp or, or uh, an encampment of Civil War soldiers or anything else, I collect it and put an image and a link to it, and I pin it on my Pinterest site. Well, uh, and I can give you an example of something that I'm thinking of building maybe within the next month or so. Uh, I research Oklahoma, as you know, was Indian Territory up until 1907 when Oklahoma joined the Union. Well, prior to that, it was Indian Territory. My ancestors were slaves in Indian Territory. But any map, if you see, that's depicting slavery, you always see Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and you see that little hole right next to Arkansas and right north of Texas that looks blank. And a, an outsider would say, oh, there was no slavery north of Texas. Wrong. The five tribes were slaveholders and never, ever, ever has slavery been depicted on a historical map. A year ago, New York Times had a wonderful article depicting slavery, mapping slavery, I think they called it. It's that same map with Oklahoma missing. Well, the project I've decided, it's time I'm going to put slavery in Oklahoma, Indian Territory, on a map. I'm going to use as my base the slave schedules, which do exist from 1860 in those five tribes, and I'm mm -hmm. going to pin slavery on a map that is never by any historian ever in the history of this country ever pinned slavery in Indian Territory. Yeah. If there's a story, there's a map for it. You can yeah. do the same thing. You may want to do the same thing for old schools, uh, schools in your state that you know of. Maybe the schools don't exist anymore. Uh, black high schools, maybe you're a person who's interested in education and want to, to um, show that on a map. You can pin it. If you can think of something where either institutions or places have something in common in a certain geographic region, you can pin it. Anyone can do this. And if Tony could convince me to join her <laughs> and got me involved, you can do it too. So, definitely. But Tony, so. that sounds that that sounds like a webinar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> You know, I know Thomas oh, uh, was talking about doing a webinar on pinning, but uh, certainly uh, I think it, you're saying if you can conceive it, <laughs> hey, it can you be can done. believe it, yeah. it'll happen. Yeah. It can be done. It can be oh, done. And gosh. the mapping, the Freedmen's Bureau has been done. You didn't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. So I absolutely want to say thank you, Thank you, thank oh, you. That's so nice. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show.